0: Now, you follow as I read that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, and in the very mind of God as black words on a white page. Here we go. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it, in, haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. For he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you, that you just caught. So Simon Peter, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever. Hey guys, we're uh, going to finish up today a little mini-series within a larger series. You, I, I think you know that we've been studying the life of Peter. We'll finish that up next week. A, a, the larger series was about Peter. But uh, a series within that series had to do with his denial of Jesus Christ. I, I think everybody kind of knows about Peter denying Christ three times before the, the rooster crowed, all that business. Well, there's been three sermons. This is the third one on, on that event in the life of Peter. The first one had to do with... Uh, before it happened when Peter said, nah, I would never do that. I mean, those other thugs might, but not me. I would never do that. We talked about that. Last week, we talked about the intercession of Jesus Christ on Peter's behalf. The advocacy of Jesus Christ for his people. That's what we talked about last week. This morning, we're going to wrap that up by taking a look at this um, at this final little uh, part of the whole event known as the denial of Peter. Now, guys, everybody likes... Stories with happy endings. Stories where you know the, uh, the 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 couple is finally reunited and reconciled and restored, and they they run down the, the shore and grab each other and hug and kiss, and the the credits begin to roll. When all's well, that ends well. You know that kind of thing. You might have seen the movie Mamma Mia with uh, Meryl Streep and. You know, right at the end, uh, you know, she finally figures out that she does love uh, Pierce Brosnan. And, and they decide, OK, let's get married. And so they get married. And, and then everybody dances down the hill on a Greek island. And, and, and the credits, you know, just you know, happy ending. We like those kind of stories. Well, this story has, a, has a, a Peter's denial. It has a happy ending, too. And the happy consists of really two parts. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Guys, first of all, Peter is restored. He's forgiven. He's reconciled to this Christ of his. But beyond that, he is also reinstated to a position of leadership uh, amongst the the, the people of God. Um, So what I'm suggesting is being restored plus being reinstated equals... A complete reclamation of Peter, at least in my terminology. What I'm saying is, in this happy ending, there's really two parts of it. There is the part that he is restored and forgiven, and there's also the part that he is reinstated to a position of leadership among God's people. So that's the two things that I want you to look at with me this morning, his restoration and his reinstatement. Let's take a look. First of all, having to do with his restoration, his being restored. Gang, um, we, we didn't read any of this, but I think you already know it. Um, on resurrection morning, on the morning that Jesus rose from the dead, we call it Easter. But on that morning, uh, two women uh, leave very early in the morning, just before sunrise, and head to the tomb uh, with the purpose in mind of doing, performing a very practical task for this dead body. They're going to put some spices on Jesus' body. You know what that's for, don't you? I mean, that's, that's to cover up the stench of putrefaction. And so that, what they were going to do is just minister to this one they love by, you know, the spices business. But when they get there, when they get there, um, the unexpected happens. He's not there. But somebody else is. And who this is, we're never told. Some perhaps angel perhaps. And the angel says to them several things, but he also says, this is what he says to the two women. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you notice anything interesting about that statement? The angel says to the two women, go and tell his disciples and Peter. That little and Peter is very significant, guys. Because when the women get back to where the disciples are, they mention to Peter that Jesus has asked for him by name. That's the first hint that Peter gets that things are going to be okay. That he's still included. Now, guys, what you may not know is that there was a meeting between Jesus and Peter before this one in John 21. Were you aware of that? Uh, Luke mentions it in Luke 24, 34. John doesn't mention it. Mark doesn't mention it. Matthew doesn't mention it. But Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 15. But nobody gives us any of the details of what took place in that private meeting between Jesus and Peter. We don't know what happened. And tradition tells us that it took place in Gethsemane. But that's just tradition, guys. Um, But we don't know what happened in the exchange. So we're just left to guess. But this much, ladies and gentlemen, we know for sure. That Peter never again mentions his denial. That is never again brought up. The, uh, the restoration apparently takes place in this private meeting between Jesus and Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. And by that time, by this time, by John 21, they are restored. And one of the hints that we know, one of the things that makes us know that is because the next time that Peter sees Jesus, right here in John 21, um, Peter is so unhindered that he throws himself in a lake and swims to shore so that he can be next to Jesus. There was not one molecule of reluctance on Peter's part. This throwing himself into a lake is the act of a joyfully forgiven man. Hey guys, sometimes you, you... you read a story like that. At least when I try to preach a story like that, and, and it's almost too good to be true. I, I think um, it's fairy tale like. You know, they all lived happily ever after. Sometimes, as a preacher, my biggest task is to convince you that God really is this good, that the gospel really is this glorious, and that grace is really this amazing. That it's just as true as it is good. But we're not done yet. There's more. There's a whole nother, a a, a whole different layer to this, to this reclamation project. Peter is restored and forgiven. Hallelujah. But what about, what about the ten? The ten what? All right, guys, we started with 12 disciples. One of them has committed suicide by hanging himself. His name is Judas. And that was shocking. Now we're down to 11. Now it's Peter that we're dealing with, so we've got the other 10. Judas has died, and that's that's amazing. But Peter's case... Is even more shocking to them, primarily because Peter had been the one who had so loudly said, I will never do that. They might run like a bunch of scared puppies, but I would never do that. So the ten are wondering, although they would never admit it out loud, What are we supposed to do with him? I mean, surely, surely he's all washed up as a leader. I mean, we can't trust a man who's done what he's done, can we? Guys, the story in John 21 is about the public reinstatement of a failed man of God. I don't know why this is, but I've always, when I've I've thought of this story, I've always thought of this exchange about Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I've always thought of that exchange as occurring with Jesus and Peter walking around the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. That's never said in this text, ladies and gentlemen. I, I would suggest to you that what the text hints is that this conversation between Peter and Jesus takes place around a charcoal fire with the other ten guys sitting there. Peter was privately restored in Gethsemane. But he is publicly reinstated here in John 21. You see, there's two parts of the happy. Yes, he's forgiven, restored, yes. Yes. But there's another whole level. He is also reinstated to a position of leadership among God's people. And that's what I'm calling totally reclaimed. He's forgiven and he's, he's put back in place, guys. He's reinstated. Now that's what I want you to see in John 21. So let's, let's, Turn our attention to this text in John 21. Guys, in verse 3, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, it seems to indicate that that, uh, Peter is thinking, I need to resume my former career. Um, I don't think it ever crossed Peter's mind that he was to return to some kind of leadership position. He was thrilled to know that he was forgiven. That's wonderful. But to um, to resume my the posture of leadership, that, that's out of the question. So Jesus, in an effort to remove all the doubt for Peter and for the ten, Jesus initiates a conversation here in John 21 that is perfectly choreographed for everybody around that fire. There's three things that I want you to see about this conversation, guys. Stay with this. This is glorious. Three things about this conversation. First of all, gang, remember, I, you know this, but back in Mark 13, before, while they were still having the Last Supper and before Jesus was ever arrested, Jesus announced to them that somebody was going to betray him and that the rest of them were going to run like scared puppies. And Peter said, ah, oh, not me. They might, but not me. Oh, yeah, I can understand why why they would. But they might run, but I won't. My love for you, Jesus, is far superior to theirs. And so Jesus begins with a question. Look at it in verse 15, guys. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know, Peter. Like you said a couple, of three days ago? You know, you remember back there in the upper room when you said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, guys, look at Peter's reply. (laughs) It's not like back in Mark 13 when he said, oh, no, no, no. He drops the more than these part of the question. Do you see that? Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And he says, you know I love you. But this whole more than these thing, like he said, you know, three days ago, he will never go there again. Well, Peter, that's not the question that I asked you. But that is the right answer, Peter. There is not the slightest trace of self-reliance in any of Peter's replies. You know, guys, our sinful failings, they have a way of making us talk differently, don't they? Do you remember how you used to talk when you were parenting toddlers? Remember that? Well, if my kid does them, I'll whip him into shape. I'll beat him until he's blue. I'll take care of that. You remember that? And then they got into junior high. And you talk differently now, don't you? Because all of that self-reliance, that's got to be pounded out, out of us. And that's what you see in Peter. Peter. Not a, not a trace of any of that anymore. It's gotta go. It's gotta go in Peter and it's gotta go in us. And now that, that Peter has been redeemed from that, that ugly piece of self-reliance, why? Why he's now useful to God again. You know, guys, ultimately, I don't know how long this conversation lasted. But I know at least in the conversation three times Jesus asked, Do you love me? The final one is in verse 17. Whether it lasted 30 minutes or 30 seconds, I don't know. But ultimately, by the time that Jesus gets to the third question, Peter's somewhat frustrated. He's somewhat, in the word in the text is, grieved. And finally Peter says to Jesus' question, Do you love me? Finally Peter says, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love You. Because you better get this, ladies and gentlemen. Because ultimately, our only safe appeal is to Christ's knowledge of who we are. Because our deeds... Don't say, I love you. You know I love you, Jesus. Even though I can't prove that by pointing to how I've lived. You know, Jesus! because I can't point to my life as proof I can't appeal to my faithfulness as a display of my love for you Oh Jesus you know And it's at that moment ladies and gentlemen that I finally realize that if He doesn't save me by pure grace, then I won't be saved. Because there's much about my life that contradicts any claim that I might make that I indeed do love Him. What can you point to? nothing. And so we, like Peter, all of us retreat to the same place. Jesus, you know. You know that I love you. The other thing, or the second thing that I want you to say about this conversation, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you've ever studied this passage before, but if you've ever taught it in a Sunday school class or something, there's way too much made in the commentaries about the verbs. You know the 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 the, the Greek verb agapao is used, and then he changes to the Greek verb phileo. Uh, that's all in this. Do you love me? Do you love me? He changes Greek verbs. I want you to know there's way too much that's been said about the verbs. Forget the verbs. How about let's concentrating on the direct object of the verbs? Peter, do you love me not do you love my people not do you love the church not do you love preaching Peter do you love me you know I've heard people talk about in my world you know in the preaching world I hear people young men say that they've got a call to preach God help you if that's all you've got a call to preach ladies and gentlemen the issue is not do I love preaching do you love me it's the object of the love ladies and gentlemen that sustains us all of us it's not a love for his people it's not a love of helping you ask any preacher ladies and gentlemen and they will tell you it's not the great pay it's not the occasional perk it's not the fun with God's people but it's love for him who died in my place is this worth it? No! Is he worth it? Yes. And as far as the verbs go, ladies and gentlemen, they're all in the present tense, which means that Jesus is asking Peter. He's not asking, did you love me back in the courtyard? Because you need to know, Peter, that was taken care of by the cross of Christ. Not did you once love me, Peter, but do you love me now? Okay. Then go feed my people. The, the third thing that I want you to see about this conversation, guys, is the simply ask you this what does love for Christ look like? What does it look like? What, I mean, if, If I love him, what does it look like? It's summarized in the last two words of my text. Verse 19. Jesus says, follow me. Peter, are you willing to, over a lifetime, faithfully, faithfully, disciplinedly, obey me? Peter, I'm not asking you, will you die for me? I'm asking you, Peter, will you live for me? What does that love look like, ladies and gentlemen? It looks like disciplined, obedient living. That's what it looks like. Gang, in John 14, verse 15, he says it, he repeats it in verse 21 and verse 23. But in 15, he says it very simply. Jesus says in John 14, 15, go look it up this afternoon. John 14, 15, he says, if you love me. Keep my commandments. Guys, I have been going to school for 21 years of my life. I've got all kinds of degrees. I graduated from a college. I graduated from seminary. I've got a doctorate. You know, I got all kinds of degrees and none of those are needed to understand if you love me, keep my commandments. Simple stuff. What does love for Jesus Christ look like? Obedience. Not that the obedience saves anybody. But because I do love him, I have a desire to obey him. Guys, um, is there anybody here who needs to be reclaimed? Have you failed Christ? Have you failed him again? Well, one of the messages of this story is this, folks. That failing Jesus Christ is not beyond the reach Of his reclaiming grace. You made some big commitment, did you? Oh, I'm never going to look at porn again. Oh, I'm never going to cheat on another exam. Ever. Oh, I'm going to stop sleeping with my boyfriend. I, 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 I'm, I'm never going to, blah, blah, blah. And you know what happened? And now you wonder, how can God ever take anything I say seriously? Yeah, Jimmy, I need to be reclaimed. Okay, if so, I have two questions for you. Two questions. First, do you love him? Not did you love him once, not did you love him back then, but do you love him now? Everything begins right there, ladies and gentlemen. Whether it's just in terms of relationship, or whether you speak in terms of usefulness, or whether you speak in terms of leadership, it's not based on gifts, it's not based on ability, it's not based on uh, my steel will, it's based on love. That underneath all of those failings... Do you love him? Here's the second question. Will you obey him? You know what he says, don't you? He's not looking for the hour on Sunday. He's looking for all of you. He's looking for your your mind and your will and your emotions. He wants all of you. And love for him is only proved in obedience. Do you long to display your love for this gracious Lord? then obey Him. That ain't rocket science, ladies and gentlemen. For people like me, the preacher types, and the handful of others of you that are preacher types, my love for Jesus Christ is to be on display in obedience just like yours. But kind of an added dimension is... But I'm also to teach God's people that we must all obey Him. <laughs> what am I supposed to go teach the sheep? I'm supposed to teach them follow Him. As an expression of our love for Jesus Christ, let's go following, which requires a disciplined, Obedient living. Jesus' command is pretty clear here in that conversation, folks. At least for Peter, the remainder of his life will be spent shepherding a little frightened flock of believers, risking his life to fend off all the attacks of the wolves and feeding them on Jesus' word and reminding them that their failings are not beyond the reach of his reclaiming grace. And when Peter said that, there was a ring to it that it must be true. So in the spirit of Peter the Apostle, not the Pope, in the spirit of Peter the Apostle, I say to you, our failings are not beyond the reach of his reclaiming grace. Surely, ladies and gentlemen, you can see that the bottom line in this text is not about Peter's love for Christ. It's about Christ's love for Peter. That was the thing that preserved Peter. It was not Peter's commitment to Christ. It was Christ's commitment to Peter. And so now, a new kind of fisherman stands beside a new kind of lake. A lake full, not of fish, but a vast sea of people who need to be caught up in this glorious gospel of grace and then be taught that as an expression of our love for this Savior We are to obey Him. And Peter, who is now armed with brokenness, and his love for Jesus Christ, and more importantly, Christ's love for him, now, he's ready to lead. Guys, if all this is something that you scoff at, then you really don't know this God. You don't know him because you have a legal heart and you cling to a covenant of works. And you think the only way that you can make yourself right with God is to perform well. That's a lie. And here is a story that shouts to you about the beauties of unmerited favor. And in it, we hear the gospel. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will make whatever I said clearer than I made it, and that you will use it for your own purposes to, um, to remind your people that love is displayed in, in acts of obedience and in a life of obedience. I pray, O oh God, that you will help us sort out all of those commitments that we've made and broken, and um, now sit here this morning as people who need to be swept up once again into this reclaiming grace of this glorious Savior of ours. Father, um, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ and still think that the way to heaven is through a path of human effort and human merit, Would you show them that that's a path, all right, but it's a path that leads to hell? Would you show them the one that leads to heaven? The one that is framed and paved and guarded and directed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen.